Hello, and welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 58. Today, Brian and I are continuing our series on the book of Ephesians. Last week, we looked at the potential context of Ephesians and why Paul wrote to them. This week, we are diving into the letter itself, looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and the concepts of election and predestination and what exactly Paul was trying to say when he wrote those words. It's not a simple topic, but it is an important one. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro. You can watch us on YouTube as well at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you are watching us there, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We've also set up a Patreon account. So if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support our continued work, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, the biblebistro.com and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support the Bistro by simply sharing the podcast with others or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps as well. All right, let's jump right into our conversation discussing Ephesians chapter one. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, Ryan, good to see you today. It's good to see you. You doing well today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm 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 all right. I've got my coffee. That's all. You know, I, yeah. I wish I had coffee. I have a. Uh, I told a little fib. I'm doing fine today, but it is the weather here is atrocious. It is atrocious in Indianapolis. As well. It is cold and it is rainy and it's May and I'm about done with this. It's gonna be May. You know that? <laughs> no, it is May. Uh, well, yes, I know, but we introduced our son to to, to Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake, because this morning I was going, I was, I woke up and I said, "It's gonna be May," and he's like, "What is that song anyway?" And I got to oh, play geez. it out loud, and he did not appreciate there it. Go. He's really sensitive. he's not a, well, he's not a JT fan. If he does, if it's not in Kanto or from a Pixar film, he's out. Uh, okay. So anyway, well, we're, I'm so glad I we're am. back. Yeah, good. Yeah, to, we had good a great. We're we're back after we were in Lincoln together. Yeah. We had a yeah, celebration really at Lincoln Christian College. You're kind of going to a new model, and if you followed us on social media, you might have seen some photos yeah. from yeah. two different bistros. One that I have no <laughs> recollection of, and then the right one. So the the original office that I called the bistro was was the one that was down on the kind of the end of the hall. It was a very small office, and. And that's where I first you and you and your wife Lauren came into that one first, and I remember very distinctly that I have that zero <laughs> recollection of that. <laughs> I, I think it was no in the next year I got I got to move to the bigger bigger yeah. bistro, the bigger the, the bigger, bigger better bistro, bistro. the beast, yeah. the the real bistro, at least right. in my heart, in your in your heart. So it's in my heart, it's real bistro, <laughs> but. Anyway, we had a great weekend. We had uh, we celebrated what was going on at the school. I got to sing in a choir. Yeah, and we had a great service put together by a friend of yours and I, Jeff Colleen. Yeah, yeah it, was fan- it was really fantastic worship service. We had to link that uh, that live stream into if anybody's interested into the uh, the recording of the live stream into the show notes. It was a fantastic service. Yeah, Jeff 
Colleen did a fantastic job planning it. Um, the 120 voice choir, you know, of all these over the generations, you know, there's everybody there from that maybe graduated back in the sixties, seventies up through, you know, the current. And it was really kind of cool to have all those generations singing together, strong choir, your voice, your, your voice, your wife got to do uh, some solos and yeah. And, oh, yes. Uh, nice. So it was, yeah. it was a great time. And, you know, as you mentioned that they pulled some of the recordings back from some of the sermons that have been yeah. preached yeah, in the, the main cool. chapel building. Yeah. And it was, uh, we sang great is thy faithfulness with some of these clips from the years from some of these very, real very pivotal, moving. pivotal yeah. sermons in yeah, that building. It was, it was very, very moving. moving. So, yeah. uh, we had, we had a great weekend and we're so glad we could do that. We saw some fans of the bistro there, got to see some, yes. get, get some in face person, in face time. Hundreds with some of the people of them. who, you know, we have so many fans. <laughs> Hundreds um, appeared. There but were you, ones. There were at least. <laughs> I mean, maybe two. Maybe ten. <laughs> yeah, of the beast there. Right over there. Like yeah, hundreds, like tens. That. Who's counting? Whatever. Anyway, I didn't say yeah. tens. I said ten. <laughs> Brian. Anyway. I'm trying to milk this here. Anyways, okay. so we we had a great weekend, but we're back in the bistro. So the bistro is a state of mind. It was yeah. once a, a room <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a chapel building, but now it's a, a state of mind, and it is wherever yeah. wherever Brian and Ryan are gathered, the bistro well, shall be. Yeah. Anyway, so we're back. We. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. It's typical. Um, so we're talking, we started last week yeah. talking about Ephesians. The book and, of Ephesians, And I will say, yeah. on social media, it's caused to stir. We see oh, people are like, oh, I'm, we have on Instagram people like, I'm really excited about this. This is some of my favorite. Yeah. And Ephesians 1, we've had someone say, right. I'm so excited for us to get into Ephesians 1. It's one okay. of my favorite passages. Well, so We're actually going to spend a couple of weeks on Ephesians 1, I think. Yeah, a yes. couple of episodes. So, yeah. today so if you're is, doing a Bible study, you're going to have to stick with us in Ephesians 1 for a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know who you are. You're listening. I know who you are. You know who you are. So anyway, yes, let's let's talk about Ephesians ones. We had a great conversation last week yeah. talking about the, the occasion for Ephesians right. uh, being written. And Tychicus was probably bringing a letter to sure. um, Philemon yep. um, about Onesimus and uh, yep. the church in Colossae. And in and, and his pathway, he stopped at Ephesus, um, yep. a church that Paul had spent some significant time with him. Yeah, over to the longest, at least what we have recorded, the longest place that Paul was in any one you know, setting one period of time. So to over two years, he was at Ephesus. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get it. Let's <clears throat> come on, Brian. Let's well, the it. reason <laughs> it's your turn. The, uh, <laughs> the reason I thought we would do Ephesians in two parts, I was trying to figure out how to do this. Cause there's, there's a really, there's an issue, a theological issue. We've actually talked about this before in another episode, uh, the idea of predestination foreknowledge, but, um, Ephesians chapter one deals with that in a couple of different places, but here's, here's the thing with that. I'm, I'm going to say is I really didn't want to only spend time on that issue. Now I think we have to talk about it because it's, mm-hmm. it's something you get to Ephesians one people immediately are thinking about and talking about it, but I don't think it's the primary point for, for, for which Paul wrote this, this section. And so the only reason I want us to come back then next week and talk about it again is I want to make sure we don't miss some of the other stuff that I think gets glossed over because everybody's focused on this theological issue of election and foreknowledge and and predestination and so forth. So here's what I think we're going to do. It's not even going to be strictly by verse numbers. Not like we're going to deal with the first half of Ephesians one because there's two different sections. One of them is in uh, about verse four through six, and the others in verses eleven through fourteen of Ephesians chapter one. So verses four through six and eleven through fourteen. Both of them touch on this issue of predestination. So I thought we would 
deal with those passages first. We'd kind of kind of walk through through those and talk about some of the theological issues that go along with them. And then I think we'll come back and I want to make sure we don't miss what I see as really Paul's primary reason for writing this section. Um, you know, I think I think this issue of predestination serves his purpose, but it it, it becomes for us instead a question that we we want to ask. I think if we don't deal with it, it's gonna kind of just linger there, right? So we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about it then, but then we'll come back and talk about some of these other things uh, as well. Important we deal with it so we don't leave these uh, questions unanswered, but I don't want to focus only uh, on that that issue. I think we may miss some incredibly fruitful teaching. In fact, there's parts of Ephesians 1 that are just amazing uh, when we take them for what, um, uh, what, what we see. In fact, I think it's maybe Paul's primary reason for writing Ephesians. Well, you know, I don't think he was writing <laughs> so he would have these theological questions about predestination. He was really writing to get across a message. And again, if you take this idea that Ephesians was written to a broader audience, not just to the church in Ephesus, but to a broader audience, I think he was trying to get something uh, something across. So we're going to be looking at four through six again, and okay. then 11 through 14. Now, even before I begin, I should say this, and I'll, I'm sure I will say this again next week, because it's a very interesting, uh, to me at least, it's a very interesting thought. And that is, if you look at Ephesians chapter one, the first two verses are examples of a greeting, a, a, a Pauline greeting, very common. You, if you've read the Bible much at all, you're very familiar with this idea that Paul will say something about who he is. He talks here about his calling. We may say something about that again next week. He, he writes, and again, the, the original uh, the early, I should say the original, but the earliest texts we have don't have in Ephesus here. So it says something like to the faithful, uh, those in Christ Jesus, uh, just kind of a general greeting. And then he writes his typical grace and peace. So that's verse, that's verses one and two, typical letter greeting for Pauline, uh, for Paul in, in, in the first century. Verses three through 14 then, this first section, here's the amazing thing about it. That is a single sentence in Greek. Verses so, 3 through 14 in Ephesians chapter 1 is a single sentence uh, really? in the Greek language, right? And, and <laughs> you know, that's a lot. In, <laughs> well, in English, we have these kind of run on sentences, right? And I was uh-huh. thinking he would not have passed Mrs. Hogue's, you know, senior. English class when I was in high school, he would have definitely gotten a, you know, red mark. Paul, Paul would not have class, passed that class at all. Run on sentences is something we don't do in, in, in English, but in Greek, it's, it's not that bad of a style. Here's the reason I mention this, though, is that for Paul, this is all kind of one thought. If you think about your sentences, you know, you structure a sentence in a way to really kind of get across an idea. And Paul gets real, and this isn't the only place, there's some other places that we have some long sentences in Paul. In in Peter as well, the very first sentence after the introduction of First Peter, very long, one very long sentence as well. A lot of times I think the author's trying to introduce kind of their main thought, their main, I, I even want to say they, they're trying to get across this kind of um, feeling or this, this kind of, um, uh, I would say, all, all these ideas that kind of surround the main thing they want to talk about, and they pile it all into that sentence to kind of get us started in a, in a way, if you will. Mm-hmm. So even as I talk about breaking this up into sections and talking about these different things, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is a single sentence. Um, in fact, I'll go ahead and say, I think part of our issue, part of the reason this becomes such a theologically, a very controversial, theologically controversial um, question is because we're looking so 
so in such detail at some of these things where Paul is really trying to paint us a broader picture. I've used the example before. I think we've talked about this even when I talk about the book of Revelation. <clears throat> when we get to too fine of detail, uh, it, it's kind of like an impressionist painting, right? You, you get down and you begin to look at the very single brush strokes. And that might be interesting, but you're going to lose the picture unless you step back and you look in a broader context, right? If you get too close to an Impressionist painting, you kind of lose what the thing is about. And I think right. it can be the same with Paul's uh, language. He, he He's painting for us uh, kind of a, a main idea. And when we begin to look too finely, now, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the fine study is not important, but then we, from time to time, need to at least step back and kind of ask the question, okay, what's the overall message here? Let's make sure we're not losing the overall message by looking yeah, you know, what, so, what they say. Go ahead. The force. Yeah. For the so trees maybe the thought of that, we, we, we get too lost in the brushstroke that we can't see what was actually being right. painted. And again, you know, if we were art historians, those brushstrokes might be very, he might tell us, oh, he used this color paint first, then he put this paint over, you know, whatever. We might learn things from that, but we're not going to get a sense of what the artist's intention was until we step back. And I think it's the same kind of thing here. So, mm. cool. so generally speaking, there are two issues that we deal with when we're talking about this idea of um, predestination. Uh, we also often, although he doesn't mention the word here, the word foreknowledge comes into this. Um, and I think there are two issues that may make us have some of these problems. And, and I'm going to, I've mentioned it before, so this isn't anything new to longtime listeners of the podcast, but I'll say, first of all, we often in a, I want to say, especially in North America, I just don't have that much experience other than North America. I have a few places I've lived and that kind of thing. But generally speaking, in North America, we think about God's redemptive activity individually. So whenever I talk about being saved, uh, which is a term that's often used, or when I think about what it means uh, to respond to what God has done, and again, that's why I say redemptive activity is really our response to God's, you know, the redemptive activity is God's, right? And, mm -hmm. and then this is our response to it. When we think about our response to it, often we think about us as individuals. So the kind of questions that we ask, like, can I lose my salvation is one of the, one of the controversial issues that people come up with, or, you know, at what point <laughs> did I become, saved. and again, we use this term saved, and, and you, I, I, I'll go ahead and say there's nothing at all wrong with the term saved, but I do think that we, we have taken it and we have used it culturally in a way that isn't necessarily even what we see biblically sometimes. Uh, and we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> Maybe I don't, I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to say right. huge statement. So a lot of times I'll use the term redemption or I'll use the term um, you know reconciliation or some of these other more specific terms that we find. Um, but w when we use terms like, oh, at what point am I saved? You know, was it when I confessed or was it when I was standing at the top of the baptistry steps or, you know, when I tripped and fell into the baptistry, did that make me saved? You know, or was it when I came out of the water? You know, when mm -hmm. we begin to think about these in too fine of a detail, I think we're focusing upon the individual action rather than that God's redemptive activity is really about what he's doing in the larger scale, uh, what he's doing in terms of his people. And that's the way it is a lot of times. And in fact, we're going to see here, and I guess I should, you know, we said we we're going to look at Ephesians 1. I guess we should look at this passage uh, starting in verse 4. Why don't you, yeah. Yeah. What's that? Instead of me just say, talking about it. We should probably read this instead of just talking about it. So yeah. read 4 through 6. Is that what you uh, read? 4 through 6, if you would, to begin. Yeah, yeah this is uh, NIV. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. So the first thing that I notice here, and, and I wonder if we pay enough attention to it, is that he uses the word us. Uh, do you notice that? Uh, mm-hmm. He chose us. Okay. Now, when we think about election, and that's the fancy term for the idea that God um, has chosen specifically individuals, some for, and it, it, we use the term double predestination sometimes to talk about this, that God chose some for salvation or, or for you know life eternal with him and then others he chose for destruction right mm-hmm. and that's that's the idea of double predestination and um, you know often I would say that those you know there's there's controversy about this even but I would say that those are uh, you know when, when we're especially those who are who, who think differently than than this um, that idea of double predestination we would say is the logical, Necessity. If you have chosen some, then that means there are others who have been excluded from that from that some choice. That God has passed over, right? And and so so and that's that's without our ability to respond to what God has done, right? That's that's just mm-hmm. that God has chosen some, and and you guys know all the famous passages. You know, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. All these passages in 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 Romans and other places. And again, we've talked about this some before, but this is one of those places where it talks about this idea of, of choosing. But notice it says he cho- chooses us. Now, for me, that's part of it. I think that this is a this is a plural concept. That this is talking about what God has done in in on behalf of all of those people who are His. So. So we could say the church, you know, we could say that God's community corporately. Uh, I, I like to use the, the people of God because it refers both the people of God, Old Testament and New Testament, you know, all together. These are the ones that God has chosen in, in a plural sense. Now, <laughs> this isn't this isn't a, a stead, this isn't a hard and fast argument because there are going to be some who say, well, he's writing to a church, so naturally he's going to use the plural. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are other passages, I think, where where we see. Um, Pauline, the Paul. I keep saying Pauline. I understand when I say Pauline. That's not some woman. That's 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 what I'm just referring to Paul, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, but but uh, when Paul is talking about uh, what it means for us to come to Christ or be be in Christ, and I want to don't let me forget that in Christ idea either. But um, when he's talking about that. Um, he often uses and, and, and normally uses the plural, even when it t- comes to you, when he says, you know, mm-hmm. you were the, he, he uses the plural there instead of the singular, which in English, you can be either um, sing, you know, the word you can either be taken singularly or plurally. So, so that's the first problem I think we sometimes get into. Now, here's the other thing. And this is, this is really kind of the, the more, um, I don't know if I can express this even well, but when we talk about God choosing, and and before the creation of the world is going to become a very important this this as well. Notice it chose us before the creation of the world. Uh, this idea of predestined. Um, mm-hmm. When when it talks about this, I think we often think about the way that God thinks in the same way that we think. And what I mean is this: Now we think God's thoughts are are bigger than ours, or or more than ours, but they are, they are of the same character. 
is what I think we often think, is that God thinks the same way that we do. Uh, there's a passage in Isaiah I often quote, highest the heavens are above the earth, are so, so are God's thoughts above our thoughts, and his ways above our ways. Uh, I would say that God's way of thinking is of a completely different character, and I don't even know that we can fully understand it. Now, it's not so different that we can't uh, we can't understand God's communication to us. It's not that he can't make himself known to us. It's not that he can't reveal himself to us, but I don't think he reveals himself in, in his fullness to us. I don't think our minds could grasp or understand what it means in, in that way. So even if you think about the idea of time, what it means that before the creation of the world, he chose us. And, and this idea sometimes, and it's not here, I'll mention this, but in Romans chapter eight, in a very, what I understand to be a parallel passage, Romans chapter eight, verses 29 through 30, when he talks about this idea of foreknowledge, even when we think about how, what is God's relationship to time? How, how, is, how do we understand God in relation to time? And I don't have a good answer for that, by the way. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I've thought a lot about that question. Uh, I probably have thought about the question of time and what it is and, and how it functions and, and how we relate to it and how God relates to it more than any other question I've ever thought about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've spent, I've spent a long time thinking about time. Um, but, but what does that mean in terms of God's relationship to time? Uh, in fact, let me ask you, how, what do you think God's relationship is to time? Um, that he, <laughs> this is completely off the wall. He, he was not yes, expecting this, is. No, uh, no, this is, this is good. Um, that he can exist both outside and in time at this. But I, uh, I, just, I, just lost, I, I just lost you there for a minute. I don't know what happened. But. Uh, uh, he can exist both outside and in time at the yeah. same time. So outside, see, I don't even know what outside time means. I don't either. I'm just singing it. <laughs> well, and I always have students. I, I used to love to do this because I would say that and a student would say, oh, well, God exists outside of time. And I would say to them, I don't even know what it means to exist in time. I mean, what do we have to compare it to, right? Uh, for us, mm-hmm. things happen, and then another thing happens. It's a linear. Thing, right. It, it's a very linear kind of thing. Um does the future already exist? Does the past exist? And you know what? How do we think about these things? Is it just the eternal now, or you know what? Anyway, so so you know when when we begin to 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 mess and to think in that in that area, and then we think about God's thoughts being in a completely different way. It, it this idea of Him choosing and and um, even predestining, you know, uh, us. I think it doesn't preclude. You know, as I've said before, I believe in absolute free will, and I believe that for, for, for human beings, I believe that's something that God has created us with, and 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 not only given us, but continues to give us on a moment by moment basis. Uh, it's contingent; our free will is contingent upon His. Uh, you know, He has true freedom, I would say, but He He our freedom is contingent upon His. But I believe that He has truly given us the ability to choose, not apparently, but has truly given us freedom to choose. And I don't know what it looks like when, when we when we think about the way God thinks about us. Uh, but I think, <laughs> so all this was a yeah, okay. little... Yeah, okay, come back to the, before yeah, the creation of the, the world. We gotta, let's circle back around. When it, when it talks about Him choosing and the idea of predestining us, I, I think it has to do with God knew all of those who would come to Him. And we sometimes, here's the simple way to put it, and we often will say about, is it the individual or is it the plan that was put into place before the creation of the world? Uh, And I would say that 
you know, I would would fall if if we're going to think of it in that way, I would fall on the side of the plan. You know, it is it is it is God's plan. <clears throat> and I want you to notice what it says. Go back and read verse verses four and five again. Actually, okay. go ahead and just read four through six again. Okay, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Okay, so in what his did He sight. choose? He chose us to be holy and blameless. Okay, so so you get what I'm saying. His choice was all those who would come to Him would be holy and blameless. Now go ahead and read the next thing. The pre, we are predestined. Yeah, in love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a preview of next week and tell you what I really think Paul's primary point here is in Ephesians one is what what it means that we are in Christ. Uh, Paul uses this phrase in Christ in all of his writings, but in the book of Ephesians, he uses it incredibly frequently. In fact, I, I'll and I'll have the exact uh, exact figures next week, but I think it's eleven times in the first in this sentence <laughs> in verses three through fourteen. I think eleven times Paul uses the phrase in Christ, and, and he uses it in some different ways. But he's really emphasizing, I think, the big picture here. And again, we'll talk about this more next week. Is what does it mean for a believer or for us as believers? I guess to, to go away from my individual thinking, what does it mean for us to be? as believers to be in Christ. And, and I think he's wanting to get across what a magnificent uh, situation we find ourselves in, what a magnificent thing it is to be a person who is, who is Christ's own person. I don't want to miss that for this theological issue. Even, and, and again, I don't want to ignore the theological issue, but I don't want to miss that that's his primary point. I think even the, the point that he's making with with choosing, he chose us to be blameless. Now, the, the parallel passage, and I would see this as parallel, is Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 29 and 30. I, I think I mentioned in our previous episode, I guess it bears not previous, but when we talked about uh, predestination before, it bears repeating, I suppose, that the word predestination is used six times in the New Testament. Uh, mm-hmm. Only six times do we have this word used. It's used twice in Ephesians 1, and it's used mm-hmm. twice in, in Romans 8, 29-30. So four of the six times that it's used in the New Testament, mm-hmm. it, it, it's used in Ephesians 1 and Romans chapter 8, 29-30. So I think... Those two have to bear some relationship. The other was Acts. I mentioned when Peter's preaching, he talks about uh, with God's set foreknowledge. He he what he determined ahead of time would happen is that Jesus would be turned over and crucified. Um, you know, with with the help of evil men. That that passage in Acts, and then the other one I don't remember off the top of my head. But, but when we look at the parallel in Romans chapter eight, verse twenty nine, it says, "All those whom God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son." So that idea that, that that all of those, again, who came to Christ, God's plan for them from the creation of the world was that they would be like Jesus. And I think that's parallel to this idea of being holy and blameless. Mm. Right? What does holiness look like? And we, we've talked about holiness before. Holiness is is taking on the characteristics that God has. And, and, and Jesus came to show us and to, to demonstrate what it is uh, for a human being to live in a way that's in in harmony with the characteristics of God's nature. And, mm. and so holiness and blameless is what we were, we were predestined for. So God wanted us. And again, I'll say as a community, as his people from the creation of the world, from before the creation of the world, his intention for us, all of those who would respond uh, to the work that he had done in Christ, his 
desire for us was to be holy and blameless. Now, the interesting thing (laughs) to me is holy and blameless is the way that we were created to be. Okay, Hmm. we were created to be holy and blameless people. And in fact, that's what Adam and Eve were before the rebellion, right? Before the, what we call the fall, before they turned aside and, and decided to do that, that which was other than or, or opposite of what God had told them, what God's intention was for them. So holiness, again, is nothing more than us. Uh, I say nothing more than us, like you I can do it with the turn of my hand, but, but it can be understood simply as us being restored into the into the state, into the char- characteristics that we were intended to have from creation. Um, okay. That's what God is doing in Christ. And we've talked about the big plan before, you know, and this is this is the idea of what what God is doing. And so God's plan before the creation of the world was um, that those all those who were chosen uh, would 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 be like this. Now. You know, obviously, this idea of of choice is a God picking and choosing. And I think the reason that some people, including myself, there are several reasons I I reject the view that God is is intentionally choosing individuals. There are several reasons. Um, I I would say theologically, philosophically, biblically, and also practically. (laughs) Other than that, it's a great doctrine. But uh, (laughs) with those... With the, for those four reasons, I, I don't think it's it's the case. But but he, I'll just mention one of them is is practically speaking, it is difficult for me to understand. Uh, and again, I, God's thoughts are above my thoughts, and this would be the response perhaps people would have for me. But it, it's a it's difficult for me to understand God creating perhaps the majority of human beings in all of history for destruction for. Um, you know, and 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 those um, uh, who and I'll, I'll use the term I haven't used the term Calvinist yet, but I'll go ahead and say those yeah. those who are very staunch Calvinist who who are honest about this and who who write about it will will admit that that's that's what this leads to is an idea, and, and not just that those individuals chose not to be with God, but that they were created in such they, they, right they were created not to, to respond to God right, and it reveals. God's glory in that. And that's, that's a difficult, I, I've never been able to get myself, my, my, my thinking around that. I just, I just haven't been able to, mm-hmm. uh, just, just to be honest. Now, again, I think biblically there, there is no reason because I don't think that's Paul's, Paul's primary focus here. I don't think is on the idea of choosing individuals. I think what he's trying to do and, and here, and I'll go ahead and say this and again, we'll talk about this more next week as well. But I think the real focus here is upon this is this is before the creation of the world. So there's two things with this. First of all, God was not surprised by the fall. He, he was not mm-hmm. surprised when Adam and Eve chose to do what was, you know, in fact, I think, you know, the, the idea of of them being created in God's image, all of us being created in the image of God, um, there's that idea of having having that choice i think at least part of that is 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 we have that freedom again contingent upon his freedom and coming from his freedom but we have that choice and um 
that, that God was not surprised when they fell. And so before the creation of the world, and we see this a couple of different places. First Peter chapter one is another perfect example uh, where it talks about that we were purchased with the blood of Christ who was chosen before the creation of the world. There, notice that interesting use of the word mm-hmm. choice there that what was chosen there is the means of which by which God would redeem his people. Uh, so, so the first thing that gives us, well, I'd say the first thing is God wasn't surprised, but the, the, the upshot of that, and I think what Paul's trying to get across is we can have confidence in what God has done and what he is doing in us. Um, this is, this is a long time, this is a long time coming, you know, there's a long time mm-hmm. plan. Um, this isn't something that, that he kind of, you know, uh, Put together like like a student paper on, on you know, eleven o'clock on you know Thursday night, um, you know once to do Friday morning. It, you know it, it's it's something that that we can have absolute utter confidence in because it was a part of God's uh, foresight, a part of His foreknowledge from the beginning that this was going to be a part of what it means to create. Yeah. So that, yeah. that kind of reminds me of uh, when we had uh, John Weatherly on talking yeah. about the passion narratives yes. that talking about that Jesus <clears throat> knew what, what was to sure. happen uh, and that even though he suffered, he knew what had to happen. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I loved what he said, you know, he knew where the donkey was parked and the keys were in it. <laughs> you know, when we talked about very uh, getting the donkey for, for uh Palm, uh, the Palm Sunday entrance. Yeah. So, yeah, that just kind of reminds me of some of those things that this, this, God, God knew he had a plan in place. This is not he, something that he thought up on the fly. Jesus yeah. knew the plan f- from day one. And he's well. in control. He's in control of what's what's happening. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the, the focus here on that. Yeah, well, that's great. Hey, before we continue, yeah. we should take a quick yeah. break, and we're going to come back with some more thoughts on Ephesians 1. Excellent. Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know, it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. All right, Brian, we're back. Hey. So let's, uh, I, I know you've got something else. You were going to ask me something yeah, or I was no, going to read something gonna, here? I was just going to say, do you have any questions so far? So I'm going to I'm gonna read this again for he chose well, us. Well, I mean, do I have any questions so far? <laughs> I mean. Let me read this me, and then, and then okay, see. Okay, then I can ask my questions. <clears throat> so he, for he chose us in him. And there's that idea of being in Christ, right? For he chose us in him uh, before the creation of the world. Uh, there's only a few places I would say in Scripture that we see this idea before the creation of the world, and this is one of them. Uh, John 17. There's a passage, First Peter chapter one. This one. Uh, it's really interesting. The, 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 these are the places that we see this idea before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopt, uh, to, to adoption to sonship. I'll come back to talk about that a little bit through Jesus Christ in order. Uh, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the what he loves. 
any questions on that? Anything else that you think we yeah, need? Yeah, so uh, I, I just want to kind of recap here. So you're saying that the chose us in him. Mm-hmm. So he's chosen, he is, it, you think this is more about him just kind of reinforcing the idea of the plan that, that he's always had um, and that God is choosing right. us in him, um, that it's God's people. Like he's. Right. I'm not imagining a um, junior high playground where where God's saying you're on my team and you're on the other team. That's mm. that's not you know you I choose you I choose you I choo- you know that's not what I'm imagining. I'm in cha- I'm I'm imagining it more. Um, I don't know what the opposite of a junior high baseball field is, but <laughs> I, I'm imagining it more of of all of those who are gods. Right. And, and and I think they are his because they have responded to the work that he has done. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all, all those he has who, who are his, this is his plan for them or this is what his desire for them is, that they would be holy, blameless people um, that, you know, this is this is what he wants for us, if you will. Does, mm-hmm. does that make sense? OK. And and yeah, yeah. And, and so. I wish I had a better analogy. I should have thought of the analogy ahead of time, um, but but it's more like this is this is what I desire for for all of those who are my people is for them to be holy and blameless. That's the emphasis, I think, and that was planned before the creation of the world, rather than this idea of I'm going to give this to some of you, but the rest of you are just out of luck, you know, that kind of thing. So. Right, and the holy and blamelessness only comes. Through Christ, and this is the in yes. Christ part. That, Absolutely, that we'll... yeah. In Christ is throughout this. Yeah, it's through Him. Yeah, and so one of the ways it's used, the the, the fancy term is instrumental. Is it, it, in Christ sometimes is used instrumentally. In other words, that He is the one through whom we become holy and blameless, right? Because of the work that He has accomplished. Okay. All right. So, I mean, you know, I, you've already kind of said we're going to talk about this, but like, I guess, and the, and the love he predestined yes. us for adoption to sonship. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go ahead and say something about that now, if you want. <clears throat> now, or, I mean, I don't know. Again, <laughs> I just want to remind everyone, there's not a hard and fast plan here when we start these conversations. <laughs> well, it's just happening. Sonship, sonship is used here. Now, even, you know, the NIV 2011, which you're reading out of, is, is, is what's called, it uses inclusive language, right? Now, sonship, they mm-hmm. chose to continue to keep as sonship for this reason. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if it's a good decision or not. I'm, that's not my job, but uh, that's above my pay grade. But um, sonship has to do with having a very special status, right? Uh, of in the first century world, to have this position within the family of, of being an inheritor, of, of being the one who's gonna gonna carry on the family name, so to speak, and this kind of thing. You know that. I mean, that's to use kind of our terms, but but. That's what he's saying. That he's 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 planned for us to have have that to be through Christ again being adopted to to be brought into the family through what through what Christ has done. Uh, and so again, <laughs> I know I keep saying this, but I think the primary point Paul's trying to get across is he's trying to. It's like he's wanting us. He's wanting to give us a picture of what it really means. To be a Christian, like, wh- wh- what do I have? You know, 
and I can't even think of a good term for it because I'm not talking about have in the terms of possession or whatever, but you know, what is my position now that I am in Christ? And, and part of it is, you know, his plan from the beginning was for you to have this status of being a, a son, you know, being a, a, an heir uh, might be a one, one way I would put it. And isn't, you know, I think we, you and I have personally had this conversation that, you know, sonship is also used for the nation of Israel in sure. the Old Testament. Yeah. Like they've been adopted yeah, as, as sons. As just yeah. sons. Yeah. 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 The, 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 yeah, the nation as a whole, in fact, again, do you, you know, to... To get away again from that individual and to talk about the corporate, um, yeah. And I'm thinking back in Exodus uh, five. I don't remember. You guys look it up. Uh, Exodus five or so. Um, God gives Moses the message to Pharaoh: "You have taken away my firstborn son, and, and so I will take away your firstborn son." And he was talking there about you know about Israel. Um, the son of God there was Israel. And, um, yeah, so, so, yeah. So do you think that, you know, this is kind of, uh, this is another way for Paul to say like, um, that we're we're the people of God now, like adopted to be, become the people of God. Not again, kind of moving away from that individual, but just as the nation of Israel was the people of God. I think it can have, uh, yeah, it can have echoes of that. Yeah. I think it has echoes of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, in accordance with his good pleasure, I'm trying to think if I've got any other questions here. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Well, let's here. go ahead to this last section. That may bring up some other okay. things, too. This is down in verses 11 through 14. Um, okay. This idea of chosen again. And remember, this is this is still, we're still in the same sentence. Don't forget, there's stuff that happens in between. Same still sentence. The same so, this sentence. all ties together. Yeah. Yes. There's. I mean, that's, that's a really, I'm so glad that you brought that yeah. up because I think, again, like even in our Bibles, we get two different paragraphs. Yep. Yep. And I think always like when I was writing in school, it's like <laughs> each paragraph is a new thought. You know, right. like when you're learning to write, it's like, oh, here's the next thing. Right. But kind of like for us, it's all, I just love that you brought that together just for us to right. understand again, um, then not that we all, I would have never known that if you had right. told us, but just kind of understanding the, the language is kind of being forced yes. through, you know, being forced through here, but kind of going, there's something that's yeah. in the original that, I, that can help us understand. understand yeah, if it you think about your sentences, I mean, it's, it's one, it's, you're trying to get a gross one, one primary point, one primary thought. And I think that's, that's really what I wanted to emphasize there. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Okay. Yeah. So let's, uh, 11 through 14. Uh-huh. All right, you want to read that out loud? Sure. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And we'll, we'll just stop there. He's a deposit guarantee. And again, it's talking about all that we have in him. But I want you to notice a couple of things. And one of them is this, is you notice that it says when you believed. And, and there, there again, you see this action that is, a, that is a part of what it is for us to respond to. And, and the word mm-hmm. belief, by the way, I, I, I usually use the term trust in our context, not because there's anything wrong with the word believe, but we use the word believe in, in a much, um, what do I want to say, looser, a uh, much more casual context. Uh, trust is this idea of an in-depth placing our, the full weight of our life 
uh, you know, on him. And so, so this idea, when you responded, when you trusted in Christ, uh, this is, this is what happened. So notice again, that this is a, a response, I think that, that we're called to, but in him, you're also chosen. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, is that kind of like in a, when you, when you believe we also correlate that to like placing one's faith, like the, that, that's a very passive <laughs> I'm getting, well, I'm getting all I'm language is, here. Is, is, this, is this like a, a pledging allegiance? Pledging allegiance would so, be a good way to put it. Or when you say place your faith, I mean, you get what I'm it's saying? Not, That's, it's not passive because I understand the place. Like I have faith sure. and I just I decide to put it over here, but it's more of right. it's an active yeah. participation. Active participation is the way that would be a good okay. way to put it. Yeah. Uh, I tell okay. you, the first time that really drove home to me, and the reason I, I think about it differently, it's simple. It's it's a, it's It was a linguistic thing. I was studying, and the word pistis is the is the um, word for faith pistos you know you can hear in that it's a very similar <laughs> word right that's yes. that's the adverb okay so so the one means faith and the other means faithful mm. and you think about everything that goes along with someone being faithful <laughs> Right, mm-hmm. they are worthy of trust. Right, they. When I say faithful, it doesn't just mean full of belief. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. it, it, it's this idea when we're talking about some someone being faithful. And in the scriptures, we see all kinds of examples of this. He is faithful. You know, the one who who promised is faithful. For example, that is that that he is he is worthy of faith, if you will. He is worthy of our trust. Is is, And that's kind of what, you know, if you th- think about, uh, if you said that about a person, well, they're a faithful person. You know, in other words, I- I'm going to be able to count on what they say. Uh, and, there's, a, there's a provenness to it. Exactly. And again, the word faith is not a bad word. It's just, you know, it, it's a fine, fine word. It's just, I think we use, we use belief and faith, you know, in in different ways, and sometimes I think it, it's it's become softened. Again, the, you know, here's the problem: is is in language, it's constantly changing. That's why we have to think of new ways to teach this. It's not just you know just repeating. That's why there's new translations that are necessary all the time. You know, this kind of thing. Language is, is constantly changing. We have to think not only about what we say, but also the way it's being received. Uh, we've talked a little bit about speech act before, but this idea of the way that it is heard, because uh, I can say something, but if it is heard in a way, <laughs> that means something completely different. Uh, you know, I had this example. This happened a lot when I lived in the in, in Scotland. You know, there's there's words that are used differently there. I'll give you one example. I can't believe I'm telling you the story, but um, in the UK, the word pants means underwear. Okay, and uh, so. You know, we the word trouser means what we usually mean when I say pants. You know, and so mm-hmm. we had to learn pretty quickly because we, you know, the the important thing for us was our kids. Uh, you know, because when we'd say pants around the house, like they'd go to the playground and say, "Oh, I got, got my pants dirty," and all the kids would laugh at them uh, because they're, <laughs> you know, I fell down and got my pants dirty. It's like, oh, geez, you know. Uh, but but my favorite story is I had a friend over there named Steve and he was he was bicycling and in, in Scotland it rains a lot and he was planning on bicycling into the university from the place that he was staying, so he went to this bicycle shop and uh, he was trying to think of of thing he said you know do you have any any um, waterproof bicycling pants, and the guy looks at him and says what. He says, do you have any, you know, waterproof bicycling pants? Well, what would you be needing them for? You know, again, he's imagining 
waterproof underwear. Yes. <laughs> like, anyway, well, hello, so the way it's course. received is not only what we say, right? We, you know, we knew exactly what we were meaning right. when but we it's, said it's not, that. It's not real communication unless, unless the, that the person understands what exactly. You're saying as well. It's it, it has to has to have that kind of thing. So that's that's the only thing I'm I'm, I'm saying in regard to that. But let's go back to this um, to this. It says so. Then in him we were also we again plural we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. So you see there again that idea. That's where we get that idea of plan. You know, it, it, it's this idea that the one who works out everything, and and I love the way it says that in conformity. Um, with the purpose of his will. So he works out everything that, so that it conforms to the purpose of his will. And so this is the thing I think this is when I was talking earlier about our thoughts, God's thoughts being so far above our thoughts. This is where I think, this is where I think we're going with it is we can't imagine knowing something is going to happen without being also, if we were all powerful, the cause of that. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? The only thing I can think of in terms of imposing my will is is making it happen, right? Right. Yeah. Just just by sheer sheer force or however however else you you want to think about it. that's. So when I think about, oh, um, and we even use phrase, I'm not going to make make him do that. I'm going to you know make her finish. And that's only through your own will. Like right. I, I can see the future because I know what I'm going to make happen. Right. And, and yet this says that God is working these things out in conformity with the purpose of his will. Hmm. So, so you see I'm saying again, it's this idea that he, he absolutely is going to make it happen, but his thoughts are big enough and his ability to see all of the different streams and all of the different, I see. I can't even imagine what it's like, right? All of the different ways that one thing leads to another, and you know, all of this mm -hmm. um, that that only God is able to see all of this, and and that that it can He can work it, <laughs> if you will, work it out in a way that it's going to come out in, in in conformity with His will. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. So that's just the, 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 just using that word conformity instead of like saying and how he's and how he's will, but conforming to his will. And, and like I think I think grasping all of it. I often say our biggest problem is we often think about God just like a big person. And, and you know, I've said that before. In fact, I said that not too long ago. And and he's not <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. He is the creator of the universe. He is he is the one who is so powerful. That he brought everything, not everything that we know, everything that that exists. That he brought all those things into into existence with a word, mm -hmm. and uh, you know his wisdom is such that he was able to put it into into in, into motion and in, into into practice in such a way that it works according to to his purpose. And, and that's again, that's what we put our faith in. It's not. Um, you know, we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't figure that out. We couldn't, you know, mm -hmm. so, so that's, that's what I think is going on there. So it, it, he, he, he did this in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ. Now here, I think, and, and there's difference of opinion. We'll talk about this maybe a little bit more next week. Um, there's a possibility when Paul, Paul says, we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, this may be talking about the Jew Gentile thing, which is going to become a very big deal later in the book of Ephesians. Um, but he may be saying we who were first to put our faith in Christ and now 
now you Gentiles who have who have done this as well, you have this this blessing as well, so to speak. Uh, could be a way. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is then a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So, yeah. So, other Excellent. questions? Does that bring so, other questions to your mind or anything yeah, else? So, um, yeah. So, let me. Why? <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Paul, I mean, what this if, is. Why do you think? What do you think the message that Paul is trying to deliver here through this? You know, we we've had these two sections in here. That's a very long sentence. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean. You studied this and looked at this, and it doesn't mean you can't be wrong. But what do you think is the overarching message here that, that uh, Paul's trying to get with these, these two this, sections of this yeah, entire yeah. chapter? The, those two passages. I like, think the pr- you know, if this is the setup, what do you right. think he's trying to say? The primary point I would say of, of using this kind of language is confidence. Is is having confidence in in the work of Christ? Is that we can we can trust it? We can. We can rely upon it. We can build our lives upon it. Um, you know that that this is what God wants, and this is what He is He is working to to accomplish. So even though sometimes, and and you you know the reason the reason we need that, the reason we need that confidence. You know there there are times. <laughs> I'll share just a little bit right now. I won't get into great detail with this, just just because of um, uh, you know I don't want to share anything that 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 shouldn't be shared. But as a, as a as a minister, sometimes uh, I I can think theologically in a way to know that there are sometimes difficult situations that people go through sicknesses is is a big example we often use that uh, you know why does this person get cancer and this person doesn't or this person gets some kind of painful disease or sometimes a uh, debilitating disease why why does that happen you know and, and so we get those kind of questions so, so theologically and thoughtfully we can think through that and we can say well you know uh, you know i don't believe god directly causes those kind of things but there is a there is a uh, you know, way in which there are laws within the universe. And, you know, sometimes it's because of that. Sometimes it's because of evil actions. You know, there, there's all these different things that we can look at. But at the same time right now in, in our congregation, there is a, a person who who is very seriously ill. And, you know, you you look at, at them and, and the things that they have done. And even though I can understand that, at the same time, it makes me question, you know, how how can this be the way that things work? <laughs> you know, how can this? Mm-hmm. And so then I have to go back and I have to say, okay, Paul is saying before this world came to be, not before you came to be, not before, not before your great, great, great grandfather came to be, but before Adam came to be and before Adam would have had a place to stand if God would have created Adam uh, before the universe came into existence. God was working this out uh, for his people, and, and this was his plan. And therefore, we can have confidence in that, even though sometimes when it comes to the details of it, we have a real hard time with. <laughs> mm-hmm. do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy yeah. to understand 
and I don't yeah. want to say easy to understand theologically, but to understand it theologically, but the, right. the practical and how it lives out in our day-to-day can be hard. And so I think that's why the emphasis has to be such that this is God's predestined, this this is his his chosen way, you know, this is this is the plan that he put into into place from the beginning. And this is not by the way, this isn't just kind of simplistic saying, well, it's all all according to God's plan, you know, it, it's not mm-hmm. not kind of saying that. But it's saying that we serve a good God who who loves his people and has done everything on our behalf, uh, made it possible for us to be drawn into relationship with him through Christ. And and again, that's the big message I think Paul's trying to get across in, in Ephesians Christ. 1. This is what it means. This is what it means that you have made this, this, this that, that you have put your trust in Jesus. This is what it means. This is what we have. You know, the whole thing we'll talk about next week with the, the seal of the, the, the Holy Spirit guaranteeing, you know, all, all these different really strong words that Paul's using is to get that across. And I think part of that is that, you know, we have, you know, um, you know, we, we were on God's mind before the world was created, you know, not you know some people say well when Jesus was on the cross you were on his mind which is a good thought but my point is that before the world was created we were on God's mind and in his heart and uh, you know his his even making the decision to create right uh, out of the overflow I think of relationship between the persons of the Trinity or within the persons of the Trinity that that out of the overflow of their their love for one another, uh, they create this this world with the purpose of uh, having a people who would share with them in that love. Um, you know, it, you know. Well, <laughs> we're getting into another kind of theological thing. It's not that not not that God needed someone to love Him or, or needed someone to love. He had that with within Himself. God. You know, the, the, in my opinion, the statement "God is love" is a trinitarian statement, uh, or it's the ultimate narcissistic statement, right? Right. That that the persons of the Trinity had had a love for one another that was dynamic enough and and, and, and eternal enough that it overflowed into a kind of love that is the you know that that's kind of a neat thought, in my opinion, that 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 the basis of the universe is is the love within the, the, the persons of the Trinity, within the Trinity. Um, sure. And that's that's the foundation. And that sounds, you know, like something you put on a Hallmark card, I suppose. But, you know, the, the literal foundations of, of the world, the foundations of the universe is, is love, um, is God's love. Um, now <laughs> we've, we messed it up and there's other things, you know, that come along with right. that. I'm not, I'm not saying, Oh, God is love in that, in that, you know, absolute kind of sense, but we can have absolute confidence in what God is doing and what he has done and what he will continue to do. So I think that's, that's what it is. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, yeah, it does. Uh, you know, I think that for me, it, it coming back to this and maybe if I'm wrong, it's like, it's God's got a plan and it's accomplished in Christ. You yes. know, you kept coming back this, like this in Christ. And yes. what, what does it mean that he's doing it in Christ? Like this, keep coming back to this, like reinforcing right. 
that Christ was part of Christ's death on the cross is part of the plan right. to, to right. fulfill his plan. Right. And that's even a good example, right? Because Christ uh, suffered, you know, the, it, it was not, that didn't look like God's plan. <laughs> you know, what we right. would have thought of as God's plan. But anyway, was your question about in Christ there or were you just, you were just kind of repeating your, no, you know, okay. just, um, no, no, I just, it, it was just, I'm kind of, uh, talking about that idea of like the, again back to this plan and the confidence we have yeah. and then uh, you know just kind of coming back to this idea of in Christ again yeah. and through Christ and I think we're going to talk about that yeah, a little we bit are, more absolutely. Uh, next week yeah yeah it, yeah kind of give us a preview so <laughs> this has been a great conversation kind of give us sure. a preview of what we're going to talk about uh, well, next week here yeah again it's, it's basically just what does it mean that we we have what we have in Christ what what does it mean to be in Christ what does it mean to have this relationship uh, you know and, and just all all that we have as a result of that is really what Paul I think is the first part of Ephesians 1 that he's really getting across there so great powerful language well Brian yeah. Thanks so much yeah, for no uh, sharing this with us. I mean, I know this is kind of some meaty, heavy <laughs> topics, you know, to kind of get into. And that was one of the things I want to talk right. about, because I think it's, um, again, I think, again, that, that image you painted of we can look at the strokes, but, you know, we got to step yeah. back and see the picture and um, seeing that this is all one sentence, I think yeah. is, is really helpful Good. in that as well. So thank you so much. Right. And uh, I look forward to, to next week as all we right. dive more into what does it mean to what we have in Christ. Yeah. See you. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, Brian and I will continue our series in Ephesians. We hope you'll join us for that. Thanks again for joining us at the table in the Bistro. We will be back Tuesday.